today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Chaos at Queens Park. Wow, what a day yesterday. It was raucous. It was wild. It was, at least in one regard, unprecedented. And I know we've all been following the story and what's been happening. We're going to talk to someone who was in Queens Park yesterday. But before we get to that, let's hear from some of the voices, some of the sounds of what happened yesterday. How can the Premier be so certain that he is right when so many thoughtful Conservatives are telling him he is utterly and totally wrong? For him to engage in a petty political battle with the City of Toronto is wrong. And I think what you saw at Queen's Park today is exactly what happens when you trample on people's rights. I don't care about the size of City Council. That isn't the issue for me. The issue is you don't meddle in elections. Well, the first voice you heard there was um, NDP leader Andrea Horvath, Hamilton Centre MPP, who was amongst those thrown out of the provincial legislature for banging on her desk in a show of protest against the Premier using the notwithstanding clause to, in effect, cut Toronto City Council in half. A Green Party leader, Mike Schreiner, also in there as well as a protester. Well, let's bring on Sandy Shaw, MPP for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, and a new Democrat. Uh, Sandy, uh, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. How are you? Not too bad. So bring us inside the provincial legislature yesterday when uh, the, the poop is hitting the fan, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was really unprecedented in a number of ways, as you said, and it really is something that um, I really never expected to be a part of. And you know what I will say, I mean, people are very aware and they understand that this is about our constitutional rights. It's about defending, uh, you know, our charter of rights and freedoms, and that's what people are primarily concerned with. But what people at home don't necessarily see in the legislature are ordinary uh, citizens who've taken the time out of their day to come to the public galleries to voice their objection to their rights being trampled on. And the thing that I am most appalled, I never thought I would see such a thing, is that the government side would sta- were standing up and mocking, standing up and mocking the people that were being t- escorted out of the legislature. I mean, they, it's been said, and it is true, that there were seniors. There was a senior woman who had her hands behind her back in handcuffs being taken away because she was there to say that what was happening was undemocratic and unconstitutional. Well, so much for this government working for the people, then. Exactly. I mean, that is who the people are. I mean, this Ontario legislature has a proud tradition, and that's what I expected to be part of. I expected to be part of Her Majesty's loyal opposition and to be addressing a government who's, you know, I may not agree with many of their policies, but I certainly never expected to be on the front line of defending our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And this is what democracy is all about, and this is the people. This is the people's house. Uh, That's what Queen's Park is. It was the people's house. They built it, and they were arrested and taken out for exercising their democratic rights. Aside from what, um, quote-unquote, regular citizens were doing, and and that protest caused uh, a bit of a recess in the provincial legislature, you guys restarted a little later on, and and once that restart came in effect and uh, Premier Ford reintroduced, uh, you know, invoking the notwithstanding clause, um, your leader, your boss, Andrea Horvath, and uh, a bunch of others were booted from the legislature for banging on desks, making noise, uh, you know, making their voices heard in that particular way. 
was that the game plan going in? Was there another way you could have shown your displeasure with the government? I think from what I described this morning, what we saw this morning, people were just horrified to see um, average citizens uh, treated that way. And so, you know, I think the the feeling amongst uh, my uh, fellow MPPs was that at what point do you stand up to a government that is clearly abusing their power? And so it was more of a, a visceral reaction to what really was an assault on our democracy and which was you know, basic human decency to treat people like that was something that made us just feel that this was something that we needed to, to uh, stand up against. Our guest is uh, Sandy Shaw, MPP for Hamilton West, Ancaster Dundas. Uh, we're in the very, uh, I mean, we're in the infancy of the Doug Ford government. What do you think a move like this, invoking the notwithstanding clause on this issue, what do you think it does uh, in terms of setting the tone for this government? Well, you know, uh, when I first got to the legislature, I never expected to see this kind of behavior. And even veterans, uh, MPPs on both sides of the House, have said that this is not how this place usually operates. I've had people even apologize to me, saying this is not how it usually uh, it functions here. So, you know, we saw what the Fords brought to Toronto. I mean, they brought, uh, it's been described as chaos and a circus, and that's other people's words. I mean, uh, the Fords brought international attention uh, to the city of Toronto, all for the wrong reasons. And unfortunately, I think what we're seeing here now at Queen's Park is this is not just about, you know, uh, Doug Ford's obsession with Toronto. It's not just about Ontario, but this is a, a national, national concern. I mean, we even had uh, Brian Mulroney say that Canada has a problem when a premier can overrule the courts. So I think what we're seeing is um, what we've seen before. You know, we've seen this movie before with the Fords, and unfortunately, you know, this is what they're calling an urgent priority. I mean, this, this is an emergency session that this government has called. It's, so they're, they're saying that this is an emergency, dealing with the number of council seats is an emergency. When, when I was knocking on doors in my riding, people talked about the things that were most urgent to them, and that was their hydro bills, that was affordability of housing, that was the health care system that is an urgent priority. I never expected that the urgent priority would be addressing Doug Ford's, you know, it really is like his obsession with Toronto. I feel like he thinks he's the premier of Toronto. I think he forgets that he's here for all of Ontarians, all 13 million of them, not just the 2 million that he keeps saying voted for him. The uh, Premier also making mention that, uh, you know, there's a lot of support for this uh, initiative to cut the size of Toronto Council. Uh, it was never, at least to my memory, brought up during the election campaign. However, what I do remember the Premier saying is, we're going to find $6 billion in efficiencies and quote-unquote, I think this is a direct quote, no one will lose their jobs. Well, I, I can see, uh, you know, 47 down to 25, that's an elimination of jobs to me. It, it, on the surface, it would feel, but everything with this government is just really, to be honest with you, noise and spin. So, and, you know, perhaps if there were fewer councillors, you might save money. It's not the case, though, because now instead of having councillors, you're going to have to have staff. You're going to have to have a bigger bureaucracy to address some of, some of the workload. So it's all smoke and mirrors, to be honest with you. And you're absolutely right, right. I mean, Rick, he didn't say one single word about reducing the size of city council. And at the end of the day, what, where we are right now, it's not about Toronto City Council. It's not about whether it's 25 or 47 or 45. It's now about our constitutional democracy. We have Premier Ford, who has 
rather than follow a proper court process, which is to see an appeal through our judiciary, he has taken out from his arsenal the biggest tool we have. You know, it's like, it's been said, it's like taking out, you know, a hammer to kill a mosquito. And once you use this tool once, there is no, under, there's no stopping where he will use this unconstitutional tool again. I mean, he has said quite clearly that he won't be shy to use this again. So that is something that should be chilling for all of Ontarians. And well, two things. Number one, uh, I believe him. Number two, uh, <laughs> you know, this is an issue that is, at least in his math, going to save twenty-five million dollars. I mean, yeah, in the in the in uh, in in one budget, twenty-five million for for a city. I mean, a, a city of Toronto size, of Hamilton size, of you know whatever the case is, that could be cut. Put to good use, but in terms of the provincial budget, twenty-five million dollars isn't really that much money. So, for to use the notwithstanding clause for the first time in this province's history, for a twenty-five million dollar save, that blows me away. You know, it's is that expression that it's so perfectly applied to this government that they know the cost of everything but the value of nothing. And what Canadians value most, again and again, the thing that we are most proud of is our democratic rights. Our Charter of Rights is a thing that is the envy of the world. And for this government to make this about efficiencies really is something that should be disturbing for all of us. And while we understand that people work hard for their money and people's lives are unaffordable, Doug Ford's uh, governing by slogans is not going to help people. And at the end of the day, I would ask, how much money are they spending on legal challenges? How much money are we wasting right now at Queen's Park in the legislature dealing with this issue that Doug Ford is obsessed about, his, his uh, vendetta against city, his city councillors in Toronto, which, by the way, he keeps naming in the House. He keeps saying, this is about, you know, Jack Layton. This is about Mike Cressy. Like, it really is. He think he hasn't re- realized that he's the premier. And so while we're wasting this time, that has a value that has a cost associated to it but my guess is we'll never hear how much this is costing and how much money and time this government is wasting and that's our money and that's not his money and one and one final point in terms of the uh the the nature of the protest yesterday the banging on the desk you know getting booted from the legislature was there talk of differing ways to make your voice heard or was that the consent uh, the consensus to say you know we're going to do something different I think what we want to show as Her Majesty's loyal opposition that this is a big job that we have. And people are looking to us, uh, you know, people are looking to us to be, as I said, on the front line of protecting our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so while this is one way of making sure that we are expressing um, complete, complete objection to this undemocratic uh, rule, by this premier, there were, are many other legislative ways to address this, and in the coming days, you know, we will be debating this bill, uh, and and we will see what the government has to say, how they continue to justify what they're considering an emergency, uh, which is the number of seats that the Toronto Council has. You know, Toronto is just one city. This is a the whole province of Ontario has concerns. I mean, we we. We, we hear in, in Hamilton. I mean, how, how many schools in Hamilton, for example, uh, they've had, they have failed the lead test. So while Doug Ford is obsessing about Toronto, we have kids right now that are going to school with lead in the waters. They can't drink the water. We have kids that are being sent home from school because of the heat. They don't, their schools are literally uh, falling apart, like Ancaster High. And 
this is a government that's first act was to cancel $100 million set for those school repairs. So I would ask people uh, to contrast what this government is saying is an urgent priority to what every, people's everyday lives are right now. Sandy, appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Rick. You take care. You too. Sandy Shaw, NDP, MPP for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A union video that identifies replacement workers who crossed the picket line during an ongoing lockout in Gander, Newfoundland, has prompted a debate over the ethics of naming and shaming such workers. It's a minute-long video, it's called Meet the Scabs, and it was posted to Unifor Canada's Twitter and Facebook channels a couple of days ago, showing images and names of workers hired as replacements for the 30 DJ Composites workers who've been locked out of their jobs since December 2016. That's more than 600 days on the picket line. As of Monday, the Twitter video had more than 700 responses, many of them supportive, many others critical of the union's tactics shaming the workers rather than the employer with the uh, some of them saying that the video amounts to bullying well let's bring in the president of unifor his name is jerry diaz and he joins us now jerry good afternoon hello jerry hi how are you today hi thanks for joining us today uh, maybe we'll start with the, the the most obvious question why did unifor release this type of video well, because it was about time that we exposed the scabs for exactly who they are. A group of people without any moral compass. They've literally stolen the jobs from our members. It's because of them, in part, that our members have been locked out for over 600 days. And they're just gingerly walking by the picket line and driving through the picket line. And they're quite comfortable in their own skin. They're quite comfortable with the fact that they've literally caused economic hardships to 30 families. So we've had enough. Uh, we've taken the company twice to the board. They've been found guilty uh, at the Newfoundland Labrador. Um, the board have been found guilty of bargaining in bad faith, but the government does nothing. The company is doing nothing. And look, the bottom line is these people have undermined our strike and have really undermined uh, the, the well-being for 30 families in Gander. So it's about time to expose them for who they are. So it sounds like this was a uh, last resort tactic on the union's part. Absolutely. We've done everything. We've, we've reached out to Premier Ball four times uh, for meetings. I've reached out to him again just the other day. Uh, we finally got his attention because he went to the picket line to meet his citizens uh, for the first time yesterday. But ultimately, this thing has to come to a resolution. And if we can't get the company to bargaining table through conventional ways... Maybe we'll put up a, we'll create some obstacles in the form of the video so that the scabs can look at the video and if they have a stitch of decency, would start to see the shame and the embarrassment uh, that, that is involved with this whole thing. Did union officials debate the morality or, or even the privacy concerns that this kind of video brings about? I mean, no, I'm sure you did. Any privacy concerns? Oh, well, there's no question. We talked about it internally, but it was a gamble worth taking. I mean, ultimately, this whole issue was was dealt with in a Supreme Court decision back in 2013 with naming, publishing scabs, and uh, the bottom line: a picket line isn't like ballet school. I mean, it's a uh, you know, it's going to be very aggressive, and we're going to use whatever tactics we can in order to get our members back to work. And ultimately, these scabs are quite comfortable 
stealing somebody's jobs. When is that okay? When is it okay for somebody just to steal somebody's job? So I'm fascinated that so much of the debate is about, oh, poor scabs. Oh, look, they named them. Oh, my gosh, they put pictures of them. I don't care. The facts are is these people have stolen other people's jobs and deserve to be called out. So do you think this last-ditch effort is going to work, is going to have the effect that you want it to, in terms of the employer saying, okay, well, you know, these, these replacement workers are gone, let's bring in all the other people? Well, we're hoping to find a solution. This is uh, exactly about getting the employer back to the bargaining table, but they're reluctant to do that as long as they have scabs crossing the picket line performing the work. So, you know, they, people have options, if you take, all you need to do is Google the, gang, uh, the Gander website for jobs. There's all kinds of jobs available. But these are people that have purposely chosen to cross a picket line to steal someone else's job. So if Meet the Scabs uh, didn't uh, get their attention, then maybe Meet the Scabs, the sequel, will get their attention. But we are not backing off. Uh, these scabs deserve to be singled out for the cause that they've caused an entire community. And we're not going to back off. We're chatting with Jerry Diaz, president of Unifor, regarding uh, the situation in Gander, Newfoundland, in which the union has released a minute-long video titled Meet the Scabs that was posted on uh, Unifor's Twitter and Facebook channels that shows images and the names of these replacement workers at uh, a company uh, that has locked out its workers for more than 600 days. There has been a lot of negative comment as well. What do you make of the blowback? What do you make of the negative commentary, including some from Unifor members? Well, first of all, there's always going to be um, uh, different positions taken based on a controversial issue. But ultimately, these are workers that make $16 an hour. The company proposed that they, a third of the workforce takes a pay cut. Uh, they want, they proposed language that basically says they can put together any type of a matrix which will determine the wage rates, which means the other two-thirds will likely end up with a pay cut. They got locked out days before Christmas. And like I said, these are workers that make $16 an hour. So if you're making $16 an hour and then told to take a pay cut and then locked out and you've been on the street for over 600 days, you know, I'm sure you won't be, you know, I'm sure you're not going to be bringing the scabs birthday gifts and, you know, bringing them cake on the, look, the bottom line is, is people that are critical if the shoe was on the other foot, I'm sure they wouldn't be rolling out the welcome wagon for the scabs. They would feel very upset of what the employer is doing, and they would despise the scabs as much as we do. So unless you've walked a mile in their shoes, well, then maybe you should uh, rethink uh, your position. You mentioned a uh, Meet the Scabs Part 2. What else does Unifor plan to do? Well, we are going to definitely escalate uh, the action of DJ Composite. Um, it's going to be happening fairly shortly. Quebec and B.C. are the only provinces in Canada that bans the use of replacement workers uh, during a strike, during a lockout, during a labor uh, stoppage. Will this situation in Gander, will, will the, the release of this video perhaps lead other provinces to rethink their position on this? I mean, is that part of the goal? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is really about having a national debate on the, on, on the use of scabs because it really does tilt uh, labor relations and it slants it towards the employers. So we wanted to have a public debate. We're actually having a much bigger public debate than we thought. So in that regard, we're pleased. Um, but we're hoping that provinces take a look at this and say, okay, enough is enough. We need to restore a semblance of balance to labor relations. And then they ban scabs. Uh, that is the fair thing to do. Have you heard from the employer at all during this? 
No, we've uh, the employer's been sitting on their hands and sitting on their wallet. Um, so it, this is an American company uh, that bought the facilities in 2012. Our members took their concessions in 2012, and now here they were in 2016 wanting more. This is a company that's doing very well. They make parts for Boeing, uh, helicopter parts. Uh, ultimately, they can they should be treating their employees much better than they have. They locked them out. They locked them out, if you can imagine, just days before Christmas in 2016. So they should be ashamed of themselves. But like I said, I mean, the thinnest book in the world is the book of corporate ethics. In saying all that, is this, uh, from, from the union's perspective, is this a winnable battle? Do, do you see the workers that once worked at, uh, the locked out workers at, at 30 DJ Composites, do you see them one day getting back on the job at that plant? Oh, there's no question. Uh, they will be back to work. The only question is when. And does anybody win? The answer is no. I mean, nobody wins after 600 days except for the scabs that have been stealing the jobs of our members. So uh, their time has come. They're, some of them are shamed. Some feel no shame. Um, Adam May Rogers, one of the scabs, put our video on our personal Facebook face uh, page. So anybody that says, oh, geez, they're being intimidated, they're being harassed, she put it on her own Facebook page, so ultimately you can't be scaring her very much. Have any of these replacement workers uh, left the, the company and are no longer replacement Not workers? I'm, Not that I'm aware of. Um, the, the ones that are the most vocal are dug in and saying they're not going anywhere. They're quite comfortable being scabs. I'm sure they probably even made T-shirts that says, I'm a scab, and I love it. Right. If, if even one leaves, though, I mean, that's, that's got to be a little bit of a victory for you guys. Well, it'll be a good start. Uh, the, it'll be a victory when they're all when they all leave, and hopefully that'll be coming soon. I know, you know, Unifor and uh, a union's purpose is to fight for its workers, fight for its members. But can you understand the other side of the fence that feels that this tactic is a little too vengeful or a little over the line or below the belt? Well, look, people have their own opinions, and I respect other people's opinions. But like I said, these workers have been locked out for over six hundred days. What are we supposed to do? The employer is extending the lockout because he's using the scabs. The scabs are willing participants, and they're the reason that this strike or this lockout has happened and has occurred for so long. So if, do I feel a stitch of sympathy for them? The answer is no. They deserve to be ridiculed and shamed as they are being right from coast to coast to coast. And I'm quite pleased about it. And how long have they been replacement workers? Are we talking a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years? No, 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 no. They've been replacement workers. Some of them have been there almost right from the beginning. Wow. These people have been crossing the picket line for over a year, some of them a year and a half. So they're quite comfortable uh, in, in what it is they're doing. So let's see how comfortable they all now when the entire community knows that they're scabs. I've got no, obviously... Listen, I have zero sympathy for them, and if, if they're shamed, that's wonderful. But the problem is it's difficult to shame someone that has no moral compass. What kind of impact do you think this kind of video will have on their future employment? Because you say, you know, you're optimistic that the, the, the workers of this company are going to one day return. What's going to happen to these handful of others who have crossed the line? Are they going to be vilified going forward? And, and is that the whole? Oh, is, that, is that part of the goal? Well, look, uh, that's not a part of the goal. The, the, the goal is, frankly, to get them to stop crossing our picket line. Right. I mean, what happens to them? It's their own, it's, you know, it's, it's their own decision. People are going to be accountable for the actions that they take. 
And are they viewed as parasites uh, within their community? The answer is yes. Um, are they being vilified by their neighbors? The answer is yes. Do I feel a stitch of remorse for them? The answer is no. Jerry, great discussion. Um, good luck with phase two. I'm intrigued to see what it's going to look like. No, it's going to be beautiful. Have a great day. You too. Unifor President Jerry Diaz joining us here on the Scott Thompson Show. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Shocking news earlier this week from the Canadian Football League and the Hamilton Tiger Cats in particular. With the abrupt resignation of Dan Black, more popularly known, (laughs) as I try to get that out of my mouth, as uh, Pigskin Pete. He's carried on the Oski Wee Wee tradition uh, for 10 years. And earlier this week said, uh, that's it, I'm done. Posted a message on Facebook, long story short, saying, quote, uh, my family is my focus and I need to dedicate all the time and energy to that now. Now, I, I have not found out the reason for the resignation. I've sent uh, Dan a text saying, hey, hopefully everything's okay. Uh, God bless, something to that regard. Uh, Good luck. If you need anything, hey, let me know. Uh, No response. Got a message from the Ticats. They, at least the individual that I was interacting with, uh, still have no idea why Dan Black, a.k.a. Pig Skin Pete, has stepped down, has resigned his post. In the meantime, and we may never know the real reason why, But in the meantime, the Tiger Cats are saying, we will be carrying on this tradition. Our historic uh, team cheerleader, if you will, will remain with us. This entity is going to stay uh, as a part of our franchise, which I wholeheartedly agree that should be the case. Teams with these types of traditions, this type of legacy, must Continue it. I mean, this is a... When you think of the Ticats, you think of, obviously, football. They play in the Canadian Football League. They play in Hamilton. They wear black and gold. And somewhere down the line, in terms of, you know, famous players or coaches, comes Pigskin Pete. Now, where he is on that ladder, you know, is debatable. But that's one of the identifiable factors, or one of the identifiable entities that you think of when you think of the Thai Cats. Oh yeah, Pigskin Pete, that's that's their main cheerleader. You know, the old Oski Wee Wee chant. So what do you want from the next Pigskin Pete? What, what should this individual be? What do they have to look like? What do they have to do? What does it mean to you? Well, it means a lot to uh, our next guest, and a whole lot more people really. But our next guest is Brad Nielsen, a uh, member of the Cat's Claws fan club who joins us now. And, and Brad, usually it's you calling me, but today it's us calling you. Yeah, how about that? Oski Wee Wee. Oski Wee Wee. Brad is a regular caller of the fifth quarter after Ticats games, and we love chatting about football with him. So today we thought it was a great opportunity to chat football with Brad because he's with the Cat's Claws fan club, another historical entity uh, connected with the Tiger Cats, as is you know the Box J Boys, and the list goes on and on. Maybe we'll start with your reaction to the announcement earlier this week from Dan Black. Um, well, I, I, yeah, I think everybody, just like everybody else, I was surprised uh, 
Uh, you know, to be honest, I was watching him the last game there. Uh, he, I mean, the health didn't seem to be uh, that much of an issue. He wasn't looking well, but I think, uh, you know, whatever his reasons, he has them. And uh, as fans, we have to respect that. I did a blog and uh, an on-air commentary about uh, Dan the other day. And, you know, at first, taking over from Paul Weiler, there was a segment of the fan base that wanted nothing to do with Dan Black. You know, he wasn't a good pigskin Pete, bring back Paul. Uh, we like him more than Dan. But I think Dan really grew into the role and I think won over a large segment, if not all, Ticats fans. Well, true. Uh, I mean, Dan was actually uh, TC uh, prior to being Pigskin yeah. uh, Pete. So he'd been with the, the organization for a while and cheering us on and, and getting the crowd going long before we knew it. I think it was just more of a shock when, when Paul uh, decided to retire and uh, that, uh, you know, hey, we need a new pigskin uh, Pete. I mean, Paul did it for, what, 30 years, 40 years? Yeah, 40 he years. was 1976 to 2006. So uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty good run. Yeah. Uh, I mean, only Vince Wirtz was, was there as long, if not well, longer. Actually. Longer, yeah. Yeah, and Vince then, started in the 20s, and he went for, I think it was 40 years, and then his son Bill took over, and he went for another, I think it was nine. Yeah, he was, yeah, uh, yeah, Bill did it up until 75, and then uh, Paul took over. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a little weird Saturday. Definitely, definitely. Uh, it just, you know, we need somebody like Dan or, you know, Paul or whoever running around the stadium uh, just getting the fans going. I mean, you know, uh Fans do get a little bit of uh, lax and bored uh, during the plays and the commercials that we put up with these days, and uh, he just he just gets the fans going uh, and keeps them going. And it's it's an it's an important part of this franchise. And for anyone who thinks it's not, uh, you know, it's, if you've never been to a Leafs game at at uh, now it's Scotiabank Arena or Air Canada Center, previous to that, or even Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, they had uh, officials, if you will, in the crowd starting Go Leafs Go chants. I was at the ACC this past season uh, for one game because that's really all I can afford. Uh, and um, it was the first time that I had been to a game in a long time, and I never really um, encountered this, but they have people go around the arena and starting the Go Leafs Go chant just to pump up the crowd, get them back into the game, get that, you know, that uh, that roar in the crowd. And Pigskin Pete is really no different, a vital piece to getting the crowd energized in whether the game is entertaining or not, just making the fans feel more part of the game. Oh, most definitely. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, Dan is, was especially good at he'd kind of sneak up on a section that was just kind of being quiet yeah. and get them all going again. Um, you know, we had the, uh, uh, we went down to Toronto there last weekend and, uh, beat those nasty Argos and, uh, you know, the whole time, you know, there's Ticat fans screaming Oski Wee Wee and it could be heard all over the stadium. It's, you know, there's a lot of teams that don't like to hear that. 
Uh, we're chatting with uh, Brad Nielsen. He's with the Cat's Claws Fan Club, and we're talking about uh, the uh, resignation of Dan Black, also known as Pigskin Pete, who carried uh, the role and uh, wore the bowler hat for 10 years and abruptly retired uh, or resigned earlier this week. And we still don't know the reason why, and we do hope that uh, if it is uh, a health issue or whatever the case is, we want to wish him the best of luck and uh, our thoughts uh, are with him at this time because it's probably not an easy, well, not probably, it was not an easy decision for him to make because A, he loves the team, loves this city, loved the role, uh, loved being pigskin peed and carrying on that tradition. So uh, hopefully everything is okay and we just send our positive vibes his way. Um, there was an interesting tweet uh, I think it was today or even yesterday from Pete Dykowski saying that, no, I'm taking my name off the list. I'm not going to be the next pigskin Pete, obviously saying it in jest. But that got me thinking, you know, maybe the Ticats, at least for the rest of the season, should have a, you know, a celebrity kind of pigskin Pete. Bring back a, a Peter Dykowski or a Marwan Hage or, you know, ex-player or ex-coach or whatever the case is. And they could be pigskin Pete for that day. Do you think fans would kind of take to that? I think it might be possible. Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of fans don't realize how much of a commitment that uh, Dan made uh, to the role. I mean, it's not just at the games. There's public appearances, and the, the guy gets recognized everywhere he goes. Hey, Pete, how you doing? <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, so there's a lot more too, just than just a, you know a free ticket to the game and and getting the fans going and being a super fan. Uh, you know, it, there's there's like I say, there's the public uh, aspect of it as well. So whoever comes along has got to be able to commit to that uh, as much as, you know, former guys like Vince and Bill and Paul and, and lately Dan. Um, it's it's not just a, a, an evening job at the game. Uh, there's a lot more to it, I believe. And, you know, that that is 100% correct because it's community events, it's going to wherever the Ticats are going to be and, and maybe even places where they're not and just kind of, uh, carrying the flag, carrying the banner of this proud franchise, and spreading the word that, uh, hey, this team is in this community, it's committed to the community, come out and support the team at the games or at events, uh, and it's an important part of, of what this team, uh, you know, is all about. Well, I know following, uh, you know, a lot on Facebook uh, and Twitter and that, uh, there's been a lot of fans that say, hey, I'll take that job, I'll take that job. Right. And I hope they're serious. Uh, and they're they're going to I guess the, if the Takai Cats have uh, a tryout or auditions, uh, however they want to do it, that uh, they do realize that there's a lot more involved and are serious about it. Um, you know, it's nice to have that familiar face. I know growing up, um, you know, for me it was Paul Weiler, mm-hmm. and you know it was always didn't matter where you went in the city. I mean, he told stories of he was on a boat cruise. Uh, down in the Caribbean, and someone said, "Hey, Pete." Uh, so it, it, there's there's that. You have, there's the public recognition that has to go with it, and you have to be willing to to do that and put up with the uh, somewhat lack of privacy wherever you go. I guess, I guess you could say. Yeah, it is, as you said, more than just being at the game and, and you know, riling up the crowd. There's a lot of community work that goes into it. And Dad did a phenomenal job, as Paul did, as Bill and, and Vince did as well in, in, in their time in the role. I think you just definitely have to really be dedicated to the role. Yeah. That it's not just being that super fan and being out there every game and chanting Oski Wee Wee. As we said, there there is a lot more to it. And hopefully, you know, the Ticats, uh, you know, find somebody soon before the end of the season uh, would be nice. 
Um, obviously, it's not going to happen uh, against Calgary, but uh, like you say, maybe we can get a, a celebrity or a former player or something to come out and uh, and do the job for the game, and uh, we'll go from there. It's uh, It would be sad not to have one. It's been a tradition since 1920, so... You know, it, it it can't go away. That's all there is to it. Yeah, it's more than worthwhile to keep this position. There's no doubt about it. And the Ticats have said that they are, and that's that's the right decision to make. Um, anyone who reads uh, Scott Radley's column in the Hamilton Spectator would have uh, really had an eyebrow raised, and it got me thinking uh, that if uh, the next Pigskin Pete is a woman, uh, you know, do you think fans would take to that? Eventually. I, I know it, it, it sounds sexist and old-fashioned, but it mean, it's just one of those things that, it, well, it's always been a man, and it would take a lot to uh, for older fans. Younger fans, I don't think, would have a problem with it. Um, but the older fans uh, may just be like, well, it's, it's, it's going to be strange if it, if, it, if it is a woman. Right. I wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't mind it. I think it would add certainly a different uh, perspective to the pigskin Pete or, or or Pam or whatever you want to call that person, yeah. but well, there, there's that aspect to it. That, then you got to come up with a whole new name because then it's no yeah. longer Pig Skin Pete. But you're so, also you're also showing the fans that uh, you know this is 2018 as well. That, that yeah, this this position has been occupied by a man for so long. Uh, why can't a woman do it? Oh, I have no doubt that that a woman could do it. But that, like I say, I think there would be the I guess you could call it rebellion. That hey, it's not pigskin Pete anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's always been pigskin Pete. So, uh, yeah, it, that's there's there'll definitely be some rough spots if that should be the case. Um, I'm sure the best person will win the job. And who who knows? Uh, there might be a pigskin Pete and a pigskin Pam. There's that possibility as well. I mean, we had TC. We brought along Stripe. Right. Yeah. You know, so, hey, why not? You know, you could have one on one side, one on the other side, you know, uh, switch around, do whatever. It, it, it's a possibility to work. I know uh, the organization has had problems with the, uh, the cheerleading aspect of it in the last couple of seasons. Uh, hopefully they can get that straightened out and and we don't lose this tradition uh, that we've had for so, so long. Well, it should be interesting to follow, that's for sure. Uh, just some quick thoughts on this Saturday, uh, Tie Cats and Stamps. Uh, duh, Tie Cats. Well, in terms I, of... I think, <laughs> you know what, Rick, I think, I think it's going to be a, a solid game. Yeah. But the way the boys have been playing at home, I think the defense is going to step up, and uh, Mr. Bo Levi Mitchell is going to uh, maybe go down a few times. And uh, I think the defense will, will hold them uh to uh you know it's gonna be a back and forth game but uh that, i believe the cats are, are gonna come out on top on that deal for sure i am going to play devil's advocate and say this team just simply cannot beat the stampeders and uh calgary's gonna walk away with a win okay well remind me to give you a brain duster next time i see you, you better call me on the fifth quarter saturday evening i shall <laughs> and I, I shall always be gloating <laughs> <laughs> talk to you then thanks brad all right rick thanks a lot have a good one uh, Brad Nielsen, Cats Claws Fan Club, uh, always calls uh, during the fifth quarter after Tiger Cats uh, games home and away. It's a tradition that uh, we've continued on this radio station for decades now, and uh, the Tiger Cats will be continuing their tradition of employing a pigskin Pete. Uh, who knows? It could be a woman. You know, this franchise has done some 
very inclusive things over the last number of years. Uh, Brad brought up the cheerleader uh, aspect of it. They no longer have cheerleaders. It's more of a uh, a cheer team or a war team or whatever they call it now with men and women. Uh, and, uh, yeah, some of them are still dressed provocatively, if you will, or underdressed, if you will. Uh, but they have a different kind of scope and scheme to uh, what they do to, to rile up the crowd, if you will. But again, it's good to see that the Ticats are going to uh, continue this tradition. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.